Welcome to the Journeys of Scientists podcast. This is a podcast put out by WAMPS, which stands for Women and Minorities in the Physical Sciences. We are a graduate student organization at Michigan State University. I am Brian Stanley. I am a graduate student in the physics department at MSU. The purpose of this podcast is to talk with other graduate students at MSU and other universities to get a sense of the type of research they do, but also learn about life as a graduate student, both within and outside the classroom or research lab. If you or someone else you know are interested in participating in the Journeys of Scientists podcast, you can email me at the email below in the show notes, or you can visit the WAMPS website, which is www.wamps.org, and you can send us a message there. This episode, we are joined by Caitlin Hedinger, a PhD student at MSU studying health economics. Hope you enjoy. Welcome, Caitlin. Can you briefly introduce yourself? What do you study and what department are you in? Yeah, so I am a PhD student in the Department of Economics. I am going into my fifth year this fall, and I broadly study health economics. Okay, so what does health economics like actually mean or look like? Like all I know about economics itself is, you know, supply and demand, more or less. Yeah, so um, supply and demand is like the base work of economics, but then a lot of applied microeconomists, which is what I am, um, we tend to study like a specific issue, like a specific human behavior or something like that. Like how do humans, like how do people make decisions? That's kind of what a microeconomist focuses on. So what I study is kind of two prongs at this point. I work with a group of epidemiologists and we study um, what is the effect of like Medicaid expansion on um, maternal mental health. So like a specific question, like this kind of, how do people behave in response to this thing? And then the other prong of my research is more about um, health insurance and how do people respond to high deductible insurance plans where they have to pay um, $1,000 cash up front at the beginning of the year? How does that cause them to um, spend across multiple years? Like how do their behaviors change when they have this $1,000 thing that hits them at the beginning of the calendar year? So when I say health economics, I'm talking about both health behaviors and the health system. And my research kind of blends between those two. Okay. And since you're studying like a lot of the system parts, is that what differentiates it from, say, like sociology? Um, so generally what different, differentiates economics is the methods used. So as economists, we only use generally quantitative methods and kind of theoretical models. So what kind of differentiates us is the framework we study things in and the mathematics that we bring into it and the specific modeling that we do. But the topics of interest um, overlap a ton. We have labor economists, education economists, health economists, like all of these areas, they overlap a ton. But what we bring is these like highly mathematical methods to these specific topics. 
Okay. So then like what, so since you mentioned, you know, mathematical models, like what is the relative scale that you're looking at, like for your particular system? If that makes sense. So do you mean like, like, are you you, looking at like a, you know, I'm looking at this particular, for example, like hospital or something, or I'm looking, you know, you know, at the healthcare system throughout the country, you know, Yeah. So generally, um, it kind of depends. So a lot of applied microeconomists, it depends on what data set you have. You usually find a data set and like some things can be smaller scale, like you follow a single hospital. But what I've been doing has been using national data sets. So I have one data set that um, follows people from private health insurance companies across three years. And it spans a random sample of the whole country. And so I have millions of people's like health insurance um, claims for three years. And I follow those millions of people. So I have a huge sample. It's de-identified. I don't know who they are. I just know what state they live in and their age kind of thing. But it's a huge sample all across the country. Okay. So when you got, you know, interested in economics, what led you to like the health side of things or like this specific side? Yeah. So some of it, like the maternal health stuff was who I started working with. And I just really enjoy that now. But generally, broadly, health is kind of, I have this like, so economics kind of drew me in just because the way of thinking really aligned with like how I logic through things and how I want to understand things better. But I'd say health economics came from like my baseline belief that if you're not healthy, you can't like successfully do anything else. Like if you're not healthy enough to go to school, you can't use the work that education economists do. Like, so at a baseline, I think if you're not healthy, your whole life is worse. And I think um, I was a little bit of a sick kid. So I think that played into it a little bit too. Okay. What year are you in your program? So I'm going to be starting my fifth year. Okay. And in a PhD program, did you, is that combined with like a master's program or is there like two separate things? So you come straight in. Some people come in with a master's and then earn a second master's. But after the first year and a half, you just kind of earn your master's and it just shows up in the mail one day and you're like, oh, I have a master's degree now. (laughs) Relatable. Um, Okay. So when you were in undergrad, did you initially start off as economics? Um, No. So when I entered my freshman year, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but like I knew I was good at like math and logic and those types of things. So I thought, oh, maybe I'll like be an actuary, which determines like insurance rates for companies, but it's like a highly mathematical business job kind of thing. And I thought, oh, maybe I'll do that. And I took the classes for that. And I studied for one test for that. And like, I had no passion or energy at it for it at all. I was just like, I don't care about insurance rates. Like this does nothing for me. So then I kind of like, I really liked my econ classes and I was like, Oh, maybe I'll take more econ classes. And then I had like an upper level economics class where we read a lot of research and we learned about like um, how economists study public policies and things and how like they can study things to understand how these policies work and that like people actually listen to them sometimes. And I think that was kind of this intersection of like, I found it really interesting and energizing and I knew that it like, use the skills I have well. So I've always kind of like thought like, I want to do something that uses the skills I have. I actually enjoy. So I'm energized and happy to do it. 
and a little bit of job security is pretty good with economists. Oh, okay. Where did you do your undergrad? So I did my undergrad at Hope College in Holland, Michigan. It's a liberal arts college. It has like 3,000 students. Oh, okay. That's where the, the tulips are, right? Yes, it is. The tulips in Lake Michigan. Did you grow up there? What led you there? Um, so I grew up in Michigan, um, about 30 minutes away from East Lansing, but not towards the West. And um, I had been to Holland before and like, so I could go anywhere in the state of Michigan. Like I had my pick of choices. I could have gone to MSU. I could have gone to Michigan. And I don't think I was ready at 18 to leave Michigan yet. So, um, but I had grown up in a public school that had really large class sizes. So I was sitting with like 40 people back to back to take calculus in high school. And I think that kind of like was not fun for me. So I didn't want to go to a place that had huge lecture halls. So liberal arts college kind of felt right where I knew the class sizes were only going to be like 24 tops. And I took a couple classes with like 10 people and I really enjoyed that. Okay. And then you came to MSU for grad school, which has like 50 some odd thousand. Yeah. Which is interesting because like, um, but my classes for my PhD program have never been more than 50 people. And most of them are more like 10 or 15. Mm -hmm. So I took a PhD level course with four people in it. So I, yeah, that's been fun, but it is definitely a change of pace. The first, the very first time I guest lectured for a class, I did it for a class of, I think like 500 students that I was the head teaching assistant for. And just like, I've never taken a class that large, but I've taught one that large. And it's a funny thing. Yeah. How, how is that? Cause to me, that just sounds like really intimidating of, you know, just 500 people staring at you or, or whatever. I don't find it very intimidating. I find it like, okay, we have a job. I'm in charge. Like, let's go do this job together. And I think like, I get very like goal oriented. Like we're all trying to take this quiz right now. Here's how we're going to do it. And I just kind of take charge and I'm like, it's my job to guide. Let's go. So I think, yeah. But if you were asking me to like give a personal speech or something and it wasn't like my job is to teach right now, I would find it terrifying. Okay. When you were an undergrad, did you ever like participate in in research or anything like that when you were in in college? Yeah. So I kind of had an awesome experience of like my department had five economists and I was the only person interested in going to grad school. And of course, liberal arts college, only undergrads. And my last two years, they kind of treated me like a grad student. And it was incredible. Um I was able to um, work as a teaching assistant for three semesters, four semesters, maybe. And I was doing all the grading for some classes. And I even gave like exams and stuff. I did some tutoring for one of those courses. And then I also worked as a research assistant for um, a year and a half and over one summer on um, some papers that ended up publishing really well. So that was just like dove right in. And once I decided I wanted to go to grad school, they gave me all the opportunities they could. Okay. That, that's really cool. So did you, so you said you already knew that you wanted to go into grad school. Did you go straight into grad school? Yeah. So I basically did. I took, so I ended up graduating in three and a half years just because I finished everything up and I came in with a lot of credits. So I took like one gap semester and then I came straight in, which 
like has its pros and cons. Like I have friends and my partner, like they took a like three year break to work. And I think that's great too. But for me, like I was qualified, I was ready. So like, why not go for it? Maybe if I had waited three years, I could have gone to Harvard or MIT, but I don't think I'd be as happy there. So like, I think it was right for me. Okay. Why did you know that you wanted to go to grad school? What, what, what is your goal that you're aiming for? Yeah. So I think I'm pretty open-ended on like the end goal. Um, I'd like to be a professor. I really do enjoy teaching and like, I find it energizing, but like, I'd be okay not being a professor. So as like an economist, you have a lot of options, outside options, outside of academia. So I could go work for the government. I could work for the Census Bureau, the Department of Education, the FDIC, the Federal Reserve, like all of them hire a ton of economists. But it's really cool now is that Also, all these like tech companies and private companies and different things are seeing the value of economists and helping them like optimize decision making and stuff because they have a lot of data they collect from their customers. And now they're asking economists to help them sort through that data. So that's also a career option. So you can go work for Google, Amazon, Ford, um, Zillow, all of these different companies are employing a ton of economists in the past decade. So like tons of job opportunities out there. And it's just kind of sorting through what's the best fit for me and my partner. Okay, very cool. Is economics, I know at least at some places, you know, even though it's like a very like analytical and like mathematical way of thinking, as you mentioned, like it often like appears in like the liberal arts, like college or something like that. Is that Mm -hmm. how it is here at MSU? Yeah, so we're a part of the College of Social Science. So we are definitely like the most mathematical of the social sciences, But at our heart, we are a social science. So we aren't able to, like, we often study the things that you can't go into a lab and create an experiment on. Like, you can't take away people's income and just say, oh, what happens to you? Let's observe you. There's so many other variables in the real world that you need to find methods to isolate it and look at it in the data without harming people's lives. So you need to ask like, oh, there was this one state that changed this policy and another state didn't. Can we compare these two states versus just like taking people's income away kind of thing? So most of the time, it's not really ethical to do these types of things in a lab. So that's kind of where economists find their like special spot is answering these questions that you can't answer in a lab, what's the best way we can answer them with the like data we have. Okay. Do you still have to go through like IRB or anything like that? Um, So it depends on the data set. So with a lot of health and education data, you do need to, especially um, FERPA laws, HIPAA laws, you need to be careful. But what most economists do and what we're able to do is we use de-identified data So we strip it of anything that could identify who it is or what it is, where, so no address, no like um, specific like neighborhood kind of thing. But instead we say they live in this large population city. They're a 21 year old female in this state, in this city. And it's vague enough that like you couldn't identify who it was specifically. And then we use that. And also we typically don't, report on like single individuals where you report on thousands of people pooled together what is like the average effect kind of thing so we kind of part of our profession is definitely respecting privacy in the data and we all sign if we use um 
kind of private data, we sign data use agreements and we get lawyers involved and we agree to protect it and keep it under lock and key kind of thing. Okay. That's really good. Um, like how big is like the group that you work in? Is it primarily just like you and your advisor? Is there a team of you? Yeah. So I kind of have two situations. So I work as a research assistant in the department of epidemiology. So economists have a lot of skills and working with data and different things that other departments value too. And we have a lot of technical knowledge. So we often can able, are able to go collaborate across disciplines. And so I work with an epidemiologist and she's awesome. And then I work with her team on some projects and that's a group of, let's see, there's four grad students, one postdoc and an undergrad or two. And we meet like every other week and we collaborate on a lot of stuff. So that has been a really fun environment for me. And it's a bunch of, um, we all work on like maternal health and women's health and it's a group of women. And that's been incredible for me. But then also in the econ department, the more traditional setup is you work pretty independently. You have your advisor that you talk to and your committee and like it's your project and you work pretty independently. Okay. But, but we definitely do have like a communal environment before the pandemic, we would all sit in the same office group offices every day and work on our own independent work together. Okay. That makes sense. So you mentioned like, Oh, you're even uh, RA in the epidemiology. It seems like, you know, economics, as you say, is, you know, overlaps with a lot of different things. Like, uh, this is a poorly worded question, but like, it seems like economics just can't branches and all sorts of like, is it, is there a lot of research as is like pure economics or is it always like an overlap with like some other interdisciplinary field? I mean, so you could say that maybe, um, so econometrics is one thing. So econometrics is like our hardcore methods kind of thing. And that's like, we have specific um, professors who study econometrics and they help develop methods that we use. And that might be what you consider like hardcore, like pure economics, but there's also economic theory is another branch. And definitely they, but sometimes their theory is about political economy or their theory is about like a health insurance market or something. So it's a ton of overlap. I would describe it as the thing that unites economists the most is our methods. So like, you'll go to a presentation about a topic you don't know a lot about. Like when I go to a environmental economist presentation, I don't know much about like the environmental specifics, but I know a lot about their methods and we can talk about the methods they're using and uh, the quality of those and those types of things. So the thing that unites us as we pick all these topics from across um, various interests is we use the same, like what we would consider high quality methods. Okay, that's that's really interesting. When you were in undergrad, were you involved with like any clubs or organizations or like extracurriculars outside of school and research? Um, not a ton. So I would say I was pretty like burnt out on extracurriculars. Like you take that path to like, I'm going to get into the best university and get the best scholarships. I'm going to do all these different extracurriculars and stuff. And like, I was pretty burnt out on those. And I was ready to have a little bit more of a like, freeform life of less scheduled. And so I did that for a year or two. And then I started working as a teaching assistant and a research assistant. And you could call those simultaneously jobs and extracurriculars. And like, cause they were what was preparing me for my future, like 
joining the like future business leaders club would be like. It's the same thing, except I was just kind of like interning as a research assistant. And that really filled my last two years. Oh, okay. What were like some things that you did in your free time or at least to like relax? Oh, um, definitely. Like, so I was in Holland and West Michigan. So lots of beach trips. And um, I also enjoy um, like going camping, but I might call it glamping because my family does have a trailer and we go kayaking a lot. And like, um, I enjoy really into houseplants and gardening right now and like all sorts of different random hobbies, but definitely took a ton of time off and pursued a bunch of things. They just didn't have club names. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there we go. Do you do kayaking on the lake or in like a river or something like that? Um, so we do lakes and rivers around Michigan. Um, I actually did a river last this past week and uh, fell out of the kayak and got all bruised up. But that's the first time that's ever happened. Besides that, we so I think we're going to go back to some calmer lakes and rivers. We tried to do a little bit of a treacherous one and it was an adventure. Rivers to me always seem harder because well, one, you have to you're more or less restricted in one direction. Um, that's funny that you said that you flipped because I was trying to convince someone else to like go kayaking with me. And they're like, oh, well, if I fall out, I'm like, ah, no, that can never happen. It was the first time happening to me, but um, there was a lot of rain. So the current was really heavy and we hit a log that wasn't visible, but take them on a calm lake. Yeah. Did uh, the kayak flip back over? Is that kind of like the big thing about the kayaks is that they're supposed to. So my my kayak filled back up with water. Oof. So it, it was a whole mess, but um, yeah, some kayaks will flip right over, but it got caught in the current and filled mm. up and we had to like dig it out of the lake almost. It was a struggle. Yeah. Okay. You said that you essentially had like a gap semester. Like what did you do during that time? Um, basically I took the time off to like, heal and work on like my mental health and being ready like I thought I would maybe get a job or something but I ended up just needing a break so um like I'd lost both my grandfathers in the year prior like two weeks apart and that really like I was trying to work as a RA and a teaching assistant take the GRE take these super high level math classes and I hadn't really had time to recover from that because it happened during that year so I kind of just took a semester off, took six months off to get in the right mindset to get ready to like, yeah, recover from the craziness of trying to get into grad school. And like, it was the best decision ever because I went into grad school knowing who I was, knowing like what I needed to take care of myself and like all those different things. Because I think one of the things people struggle most with grad school is that they don't know how to take care of themselves when they're stressed and tired and overwhelmed. And like, I learned a lot about that. Okay. Yeah. So how was like your transition? Cause at least like for me, I, I think I was like what you said of like the transition to, into grad school for me was like very stressful and, and, and difficult and hard and just like handling everything, especially moving to a new place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it was definitely stressful and overwhelming, but I think I did pretty well with it. Like I was overwhelmed and in our first year, it's structured that you take your core courses and in May and August, you have to take your qualifying exams at the end of your first year over those courses. And if you don't pass the exams, then you're out. So um, 
it's a highly pressurized situation, but I ended up like surviving it and making it through. And like, it was a struggle, but I was definitely better off than I would have been if I hadn't like focused on knowing how to handle stress. Okay. And do you have, you know, free time now, or at least even early on of like, oh, I can still take these little breaks for me? Or is it essentially like a back in the saddle of like, I am grinding things out? So during my first year, I definitely intentionally took some breaks. Like over spring break, I went and visited a friend. I still had to do like a little bit of work, but I like intentionally took a trip because it was overwhelming. Um, Just like the continuous amount of work, definitely. So like during the week and like one weekend day during our first year, it would be like continuous work because you have that exam looping over your head. And like the month before that exam, like continuous work. But I would definitely still try and take like a day off a week. And like now in like the later stages of grad school, I try to teach, um, treat it more like a full-time job kind of thing. And like, there's definitely like, it'll ebb and flow. Like we got to revise and resubmit and we had like three weeks to turn it around. So I was working pretty continuously for three weeks, but then I also took a couple days off after that. And like, I try and treat it more like a full-time job and try and take like decently standard weekends and like, but I still use the flexibility of grad school to my advantage. Okay. Do you still go kayaking and other activities like that? Oh yeah, definitely. I try and plan something fun for most weekends. Yeah. I definitely um, fully believe in I'm better at working when I take breaks. I'm better at working when I'm happier and having fun and different things like that. So I big believer in taking your breaks and taking your weekends. Okay. What kind of things do you garden? Um, so right now I've um, planted a cut flower garden. So like flowers that you would put in the house, we've planted that. And I also in the past, like I started in the pandemic, but I grow my own basil and parsley so I can make my own homemade pesto. That was one of my weird like um, pandemic hobbies I picked up. And then I have like more houseplants than you can imagine fitting in a single room kind of thing. <laughs> Every yeah. surface covered. Yes. Yes. During pandemic, I have, I have acquired many, many plants. Yeah. Plants and um, bread baking and all the different pandemic hobbies have definitely been important because as economists who mainly work with data, we are like the lowest rung of priority to ever return to an office. Same. Yeah, like if, if we have a computer set up, we can technically work anywhere. So we're like the lowest rung of returning to campus and we're just starting to potentially be able to go back now. Yeah. Like my, my office is still technically closed like at the moment. So it's like, I haven't been there for since March of last year. (laughs) Yeah. I've, I had two offices for like my two different jobs and like one of them I have not been back into and I'm scared to go back to it because it's a basement office and I definitely know I left food in there and I'm just like, (laughs) I don't even know. So with the pandemic stuff, did that like, you know, impact either the actual work that you did or even like the topic or how you approached like your work since as a pretty big health thing. Yeah. So, um, it definitely didn't affect the work I chose to do. I kind of looked at it as like, I'm a grad student. I don't have like perhaps the resources to be the fastest person to study something about COVID. Cause like 
studying things about COVID is definitely important, but like as a grad student, like I have a dissertation that's already planned and like, this isn't the spot for me. I don't have the resources to quickly get data and quickly process it faster than a well-established professor with a whole staff around him kind of thing. So I kind of looked at it as like, it's important, but it's not my place. And like, so that's definitely like, I just kind of let it be and focused on my stuff because like, Maternal mental health is still important. Understanding health insurance is still important during a pandemic because like pandemic, you need health insurance, you need um, good health care. So like I focus more on what I could do with like what I already had established. Um, but definitely the pandemic has given some setbacks and like um, working with the data and dealing, getting the data. So I had requested a data set from IBM and they were giving it to me for free, which was amazing and generous. But because our lawyers and things were so backed up, it took 14 months to get a data use agreement agreed between lawyers. So I was kind of sitting on hold for 14 months. I got approval to get the data like two weeks before the pandemic started in the US. So. I went 14 months just watching lawyers email back and forth, waiting for them to agree. So that was a struggle. Like that was my own pandemic struggle. Yeah. Like what do you, what do you even do during that 14 months? So luckily I had other things going with my RA ship and like other like smaller papers, but this data was supposed to be for my like largest paper. And I was definitely like, just kind of put on hold, like, this is really what I want to do. And I'm just waiting for it and trying to like plan as much as I could without it. But it was definitely just a bad waiting game. So, I mean, like, and there's definitely been struggles. Like we use remote servers and I've been booted off the server by the university accidentally a couple of times. Someone clicks the wrong settings button and I lose access for a week. So there's definitely been some bumps in the road that you don't normally have, but I've basically been able to do my job the same way. So I think I'm lucky in that respect that I didn't get like my whole research project wiped out like someone in a lab, but we've had some bumps in the road that definitely slow things down. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That would be frustrating. It's always, it's always something like trivial. It seems like of, yeah, someone clicked a button somewhere. (laughs) Okay. Very interesting. Okay. So kind of wrapping things up a little bit. Um, do you have like any advice or tips of wisdom for, for someone maybe either thinking about going into grad school or transitioning into grad school? Um, yeah. So I think my biggest belief is that like, you need to take care of yourself. So like you can't just drown yourself in work and like expect that to be okay for the long term. Like Graduate school is a marathon, not a sprint. Like you can do small sprints, but then you have to recover. You can't sprint for five years kind of thing. So it's a marathon and you need to like have a little bit of an outside life and take care of yourself a little bit and find things that interest you and energize you and like make you whole beyond just grad school. Because if you put all your value in grad school, a bad day is going to ruin everything at work. But if you have something else going for you that you enjoy and are passionate, there's a little bit of a recovery when you have a bad day. So I think, yeah, take care of yourself and be a full person and not just a graduate student. And I think that's like really important. Grad school is a marathon, not a sprint. Perfect. I I like that analogy. Thank you for coming on and doing this. It was a pleasure talking with you. Yeah, of course.